Simo and Redmond are the thong slappers. They're two blokes making lots of noise but getting nowhere fast. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Thong Slappers, Australia's first and only dedicated streetcar and Australiana podcast. Um, it's Anzac Day special here, so uh, something pretty special. I've got a guest with me. Welcome aboard the rock and roll mechanic, the real man in black, Benny Hewlett. Hey, buddy. Say hello to the, to the fans, Benny. G'day, everyone. I'm playing at home. We're going to do an Australian Day. We've done that already. We're going to do an Anzac Day special. Uh, Anzac Day is something pretty special. Most Australians hold it pretty special. Australian New Zealand Army Corps, obviously, it stands for. So um, we'll get this kicked off right now with uh, Benny. What's Anzac Day mean to you, mate? Um, so I guess sort of growing up in Australia, for me as a young kid, it was Anzac Day. It was... Um, this day we stopped and, and watched old diggers walk down the street and we in school, I know when I went to school it was stories like Simpson and his donkey and things like that was what was taught at school and then um, when I finished up from high school and I wasn't really sure what I was doing with my life, oh, I knew what I was doing with my life, I was freaking around like an idiot <laughs> and I thought oh what am I going to do anyway, ended up found myself in the army so for me Anzac Day is something that's very organic. Not that um, I've got any history with any of the conflicts that have what I would consider forged the Anzac spirit. But for me, to be able to have conversations with older diggers that fought in Vietnam, fought in Korea, and Borneo, and Malaya, and World War Two, Iraq, the first time around, like those guys when I got in Rhodesia, Somalia, like these are the guys that I was exposed to as a young digger. So for me, I had the privilege and the honour to be a custodian of these traditions that have been in Australian culture for, um, you know, over 100, contemporarily, 100, over 120 years now because because you're in the Defence Force, you know, guys in the Air Force, guys and girls in the Air Force and the Navy and the Army will get this. When you talk to someone that's served overseas and been in a bit of shit, they usually come home and what they used to call back, you know, when they come back from World War One or Two shell shock, and we know that now as being PTS, they generally didn't talk about it at all. And if they did talk about it, it was when they got pissed and they were talking to their mates or someone else that had served. So for me as a young digger, I was very fortunate that I got to do a lot of amazing parades and ceremonies with you know, diggers that had been in World War II, diggers that had been in Vietnam, and they felt like they were in a comfortable space to tell stories that they probably hadn't told the closest loved ones they got in their lives. So for me, having the honour and privilege to serve my country, have a flag on my shoulder and go and do my bit, even as a grubby, stinking diesel mechanic trying to keep all the shit heaps at first battalion going. It's shoelace. Battalion, yeah, shoelace.com. Um, for me... Um, you know, I was very honoured, and I'm very honoured that I've got a, 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 a family heritage of... There's only three things Hewlett's have done the last fucking thousand years from what I've figured out with Grandma. And we're farmers, we're ministers, or we're soldiers. So I'm very fortunate that I've got family history that, that goes back into the war and the Second War, and I can go back and I've got an, an understanding. I don't know. No one knows unless you're there, but you've got a good idea. So I've got a good idea that, you know, I had uh, great-great-grandfather, great-great-uncles that were engineers in the First War, and I can find their leave record from when they were on the Great Western Front and went back to 
fucking Luxembourg for a week off, you know, because I was sick of getting showered or whatever. Um, I can find their leave records. So spreading the hill at sea. Oh, dude, absolutely. <laughs> There's probably all kinds of hill still in France. Um, you know, and the one time in the army, they lost my leave record fucking twice, I hope it was but <laughs> I can find a 19 fucking 17 leave record for, you know, Charles Melville Gill. So for me, to round out that most long-winded answer ever, um, <laughs> no. for me, Anzac Day, it's, it's you know, Australia's been sitting here getting sunburnt and sun-soaked and sun-drenched for the last four and a half billion years. First Nations people, they've been cruising around this piece of dirt for 100,000 years. You know, when Australia became what it is with, you know, white slavery, when they dumped all those poor buggers and sentenced them to fucking death out here, and we forged that identity of ours own from England, you know, 1901 um, Federation, and then 1915 was the platform of Australia saying to the world, you know, we're our own identity. We yep. we have a culture, we have the way we speak, and it's and it's a hundred thousand years old, and it's hundred years old and it's 50 years old and it's people that didn't have a choice and it's people that did have a choice it's people that were born into the dirt and the trees and the bush and the rivers and it's people that were sent over here and we forged this mongrel bastard combination of all these cultures that forged together and all of a sudden in 1915 when we got sent to this fucking godforsaken beach Dropped off by the wrong fucking bus driver <laughs> to go and fight some Turks. What a fuck up, eh? Because they'd fucking aligned themselves with the Germans. Yeah. And we, you know, fucking getting shot at crisscrossing gullies. It was just a shit fight. The Australian spirit was, let's just fucking get on with it. And Anzac Day is that Australian spirit of despite how overwhelming and totally shit house the odds were, are, were, will be, rolling up your sleeves and going, it's going to be a shit fight, but we've got to do it. Let's get on with it. That's that's Anzac Day for me. Do you think if we had rocked up to, to Gallipoli to, to, to Anzac Day and we had a said, we've got scones, <laughs> what do you think the Turks would have We've got scones, the Turks would have ah, you guys are all right. You know, and we could have had a cup of tea and a scone and just, and just thought about it. Uh, Anzac Day, my family, uh, my grandfather, obviously, uh, he served, he was captured in the fall of Singapore. Uh, so he's a World War II uh, veteran. On his gravestone still today, well, obviously, it says a survivor of Changi and Burma Railway, man. So that's, how's that on your resume? Oh, yeah, you know, I worked at Repco for a while. And then, oh, yeah, there was that time I went to Burma on the railway. And, oh, yeah, I've also been a prisoner of Changi. So <laughs> it's it's pretty crazy, isn't it? There's a, there's a couple of guys that I want to make mention of during this podcast. Uh, you and I spoke on the Australia Day special. I wanted to mention about uh, General Monash. Honestly, one of the absolute footstones and one of the, titans of our country that doesn't get you know everybody's got a such as life tattoo or a such as life sticker but general monash was a an absolute titan who really saved a lot of people's lives and during uh world war one there was still a bit of hangover from uh the old style imperialistic war where you, you thought you could just send troops in and they could face other troops something changed that and that thing was called the machine gun Seriously, Benny. So there was in the First World War. It's the first war that has machine guns, and so sending troops into to, to battle each other with guns doesn't work. So General Monash, he came up through the ranks. Uh, he was the first guy that figured out to to give your troops the most amount of support as possible. So aeroplanes are a new thing. So he'd send the aeroplanes in first, and then he'd send the artillery in, and then he'd send the troops in the exact opposite to the way that Haig and all them 
dirty warlords used to just 150,000 people, they could just send their soldiers in and just put them to the machine gun. That changed with uh, Monash. Monash was a brilliant strategist and he got his shit done. And I, I just think that everybody needs to spend a little bit of time and go and check out General Monash, one of the, one of the really true tritons of our country that doesn't get, uh, except for naming the university after him. <laughs> and a highway. And a highway, yeah. Well, yeah, you got the highway as well. But um, I know you've got... Uh, You've got someone that you want to talk to us about, Benny. So tell us uh, about your guy. Um, I've got a few, and it's hard to sort of pick one out. But like when you're talking about, absolutely right. Like people talk about Australian history. You know, you know all about Ned Kelly, or they think they know about Ned Kelly, or you know all about Banjo Patterson. Um, one of the names I think, especially from back in the day, and World War One, I, I think people need to look up is Henry Chevelle. So Henry Chevelle was. Um, this amazing commander who had a lot of military history behind him um, before the first war broke out. And he actually, they encouraged him to lie about his age to get him to fall into line with the requirements for an officer for World War One. Actually, so did Banjo Patterson. Andrew Patterson lied about his age to get him there as a veterinary's assistant. I did the last night, remember? We went out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to the waitress. I done it just last night. <laughs> uh, she was gorgeous. Anyway, I digress. But um, reading through, like, uh, there's so much material out there now. There's, like, if it's, if it's hard going and you haven't got the time to bloody chew through a book, there's so many good series now on all the streaming services, whether it's on Netflix or it's on Stan or whatever the freaking hell it's on. There's a really good one. There's a uh, one that came out on Netflix uh, called Gallipoli, I think it was. And that was a yeah, fantastic, right. yeah. fantastic series that really took you into what it was like for the boys in the trenches. And so much of that, um, what identifies us as, you know, the human spirit and especially the light horse, the the... the not mounted infantry, light horse was different from mounted infantry, but it wasn't quite cavalry. Light horse was this very Australian sort of take on uh, combat on on and off horseback. Because Gallipoli, the boys that were light horse were trained in light horse. There was so many boys from Perth at that first landing in Gallipoli that were light horse that trained with the horses, and they got told, "Oh, we're going to do this assault with our horses," and that was. Um, was, we were stockmen. We were rural. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, like, and, and guys that went out and joined the war, they rode their horse in to sign up. Yeah. Or you yeah. got the Cooey march that went all through yeah. New South Wales, you know, like Cooey, we answer the call and march all the way down to Sydney. But um, Cheval in Egypt, yeah, absolutely incredible. Um, just a total stoic, brilliant strategist, just totally understood his men, his capability, and... You've got to remember too, like the charge of Beersheba, which is so much of that identity for Anzacs and World War One. The charge of Beersheba, Beersheba hadn't been taken by an invading force in over a thousand years. <laughs> and these yep. piss drinking, gambling, <laughs> belly dancer chasing tip rats from Australia <laughs> rock up. Hi, I'm absolutely Benny. decimate <laughs> all the bloody poor Egyptian towns, you know, drinking the pubs that are drinking the Hanging around the brothels like two rats, gambling, setting fire to buildings. There was, there was some mad. You just, shit that you happened. just, you just described my last weekend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Cheval had an understanding of these blokes and knew how to focus their um, energy and fucking point them in the right direction. And he had this amazing way with people as well as animals that they could understand where he was coming from and he could get people to see his side of view. And 
don't get me wrong, like uh, Banjo Patterson even writes, you know, the war, him and Chevelle were mates, and the war aged him horribly. It took a massive, massive Oh, of course, yeah, it does on everybody, yeah. But if you've got time, get on fucking Wikipedia. I don't care what you do. <laughs> but if you're gonna if you're gonna sit there and go, yeah, Red's talking some good shit about Monash, I wanna check him out, check out Henry Chevelle. And then if you wanna see some really hair raising tales, Go through the list of VC recipients for the First War, Victoria Cross recipients yeah, for right. the First War. There is Villers Bretonneur in France has Australian history taught at the primary and high yeah, school. Yeah, that's right. They're, they've still got a sign up they've there. They've got a quadrangle. Yeah. Um, so the square in the school, and around the square in the school, it says, Remember Australia. That's what mum told me. That she yeah. yeah. So Villers Bretonneur, if you're ever going to go overseas, if you're ever going to go to France, Apparently the Eiffel Tower is really nice, but if you go to <laughs> fucking Villers Bretonneux down on the Somme, the River Somme, yep. go down to Villers Bretonneux, there was four Victoria Crosses, one in ten days. That's incredible. In, isn't in it? and around Villers Bretonneux, yeah. that was the first time Australian t- troops had ever seen tanks. Yeah, they were cruising around dismounted infantry, uh, dismounted light horse and infantry boys come across German tanks, and the English tanks rocked up, pushed them back. The Germans pushed back. The Aussies and the English pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. And the people of Villers Bretonneux were so grateful for the dedication of the Australians and their spirit and their humour that they teach, they fly the freaking Australian flag in it. <laughs> so they should, bro. And apparently, I haven't done it yet. Oh, well, Dad, Dad was really big on doing it when he was still alive, so I sort of feel like in the next 10, 15 years, I owe it to Dad to go over there and visit the place. But he really wanted to go to Villers Bretonneux because the legend is from guys I know that have done it. Because if you rock up there and it's not within Kui of Australian Aid Remembrance Day, so it's a bit quieter. <laughs> yeah. And you rock up there and go, G'day, my name's Ben, <laughs> I'm from Australia. They'll just absolutely open you with, welcome you with open arms and like, you know, this is Villas Bretonneux and they'll take you around all the sites. And there's amazing, amazing tombs of unknown soldiers and known soldiers yeah. that is preserved by the Villas Bretonneux, I guess, Shire Council. One of they have teams of men that look after all these uh, battlegrounds from World War One to honour the people that died there. It, it's amazing. It, there's a bit of a lesson in that for everybody, I reckon, that, okay, so we tried to invade Turkey, but these days they open us, uh, they welcome us with open arms. They come and commemorate your dead sort of thing. I mean, Japan, we went to war with them, but they, so in 1975 you could buy a Japanese car in Australia. So I think, yeah, there's, there's a lot of talk about the hurt and everything, but there's also a lot of repair that can be done. I read a, a great thing written by um, Ida Buttrose. Uh, so I've been reading lately about how much the Aussie diggers run a fucking Cairo. They just absolutely, they set, literally, not even jokingly, actually set fire to the joint. <laughs> um, Ida Buttrose writes this thing in a magazine and she's saying, we're losing our larrikinism. Seriously, you can get sacked these days for not having high-vis fucking socks on. <laughs> no, I mean, as we even we even the same fucking guys. But when General General Monash took uh, control of the um, the third brigade, the third division in France, they gave him control of all and said, "Yeah." The very first thing in his inaugural speech was, "He's like, okay, the Australians held thirty percent of the front line, and we're well under that's well over represented. We held it, and in the." In the um, in all the reports that come out, Australians, Canadians, and New Zealanders, we never even got a mention. He goes, "We are a nation of sportsmen. We want to see the runs on the board. So from now on, anything that Australia does, we want it in official communications." And, and he got that over the line, man. He, he's the most famous commander in Australian history. He's, he's considered one of the best uh, generals of that of, of that war, man. He was absolutely phenomenal. He got. 
King George mounted uh, mounted him. That's going to sound a bit. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. Really popular. King George knighted him in the field. So he's the only Australian soldier to have that have that honour. So King George left England during for World War One, went over there and knighted him, made him a knight of um, a knight of the Grand Cross man. Yep. Yeah. So uh, a, a commander of the Bath. He just. He so that that that's a pretty cool thing, man. It's a big deal. Uh, yeah, it's um, and his service number. So I'm, I'll be looking at General Money. You know what his service well, number Mike, is? Put it this way: when I when I first joined, they still had regimental numbers. They've changed it now to a system they call PM Keys, which is no, nowhere near as fucking exciting or romantic. But my regimental number when I joined was three eight one two one two five. So three at the start meant I was from Victoria. If you're a fucking Queenslander, it's one. New South Welshman's two. Victorians three. I don't really give a fuck about the rest. Yeah, I, I think mean. five was Tasmanians because you could always go, bet you he's a five. He's a bit, <laughs> he's a bit weird. Um, but uh, what was Monash's, what was Monash's Reggie number? 52. Thanks for coming. 52, man. So he was actually 52. But um, <laughs> yeah, so the Battle of Hamel uh, in uh, World War One. obviously the, the German uh, Field Marshal Ludendorff named that as the blackest day in German's history. Ever did because, yeah, the Aussies kind of, yeah, we kicked a bit of ass. There's another guy that I want to mention uh, this podcast called Weary Dunlop. Uh, very important. He was the Australian uh, Surgeon General of, of the uh, ADF uh, in World War Two. He actually was in Changi, well, what are we going to call it? Changi POW camp uh, with my grandfather. And w- the first thing that Weary Dunlop, obviously Weary Dunlop because he, he'd never sit still, so... You know, if, if if you got blue hair, we call you red. Yeah. You know, if you got red hair, we call you blue. Sorry. Yeah. And if you know, if you're tall, yeah. And you know, if you're fat, we call you fat. If you're fat, we call you slim. You know, so all the Australian nicknames get mucked around. So Weary Dunlop, first thing you do every morning, the Japanese would clean out the barracks and they'd throw the dead guys, the dead Australians, onto the dead pile. And every day, Weary Dunlop would go down there and he'd drag guys back off. And you wouldn't believe it, my grandfather was one of the guys that he he dragged back off the uh, the dead pile. And yeah, so that's. Uh, time point there, Changi Prison Camp. It was a really uh, disgusting place for for Australian soldiers to, to have to be in prison. But um, yeah, I, I, my old grandfather made it out, and then he bought a Datsun. <laughs> Dude, you really bought a Japanese K? You never thought it through, did you? <laughs> yeah, no, weary Dunlop. If uh, anybody's uh, interested, or just Google that and have a bit of, have a bit of a look at this guy. It was uh, amazing book too. There's an amazing book. I think it's just called Weary. I can't remember who wrote that. That's a really great read. Like this Weary Dunlop, Red's talking about, obviously um, very amazing sort of human being in his own right, but this guy was hard, hard man. Like grew up playing footy, broke his nose playing footy, so he went to the change room at half time because he knew he'd broken his nose, it was on the other side of his face. <laughs> Got two toothbrushes, turned around, put the handles up his nose, pulled the broken bone off his skull and reset his own nose and then went out and finished the game. <laughs> the large clanking sound that followed him as he walked down the street was his testicles knocking together. Like, that's hard, man. Oh, man, it's, and, but imagine also waking up every day with that. That's What they used to do in Changi Prison Camp, the cockroaches, they used to feed them the actual rice. So you get like a spoonful of rice per day. So they used to give it to the cockroaches, build the cockroach up and eat that because it could convert protein better than a human could. Man, that's um, it's a pretty hard story to, to swallow, isn't it? It's pretty active. Yeah, it's pretty... Um, I, I think I get a bit upset these days in the media and stuff. I see, um, I see a lot of guys 
oh, a lot of media, oh, you know, civilian deaths, you know, in Afghanistan, all, all this. What the fuck was Hiroshima? What the fuck was Nagasaki or the bombing of Britain? Everybody was a fucking civilian, man. So just, just wish they'd lay off our guys a little bit, eh? and just war is war, man. And until you've been in that field, I, I couldn't imagine you could understand it. You know, it pisses me off to be honest. And there's a lot of it going on. It's pretty hot in the media at the moment. Like, um, yeah, certain individuals, regardless of their their personality type or their behaviour back home as civilians in civilian life, when the boys are over there doing the job, it's fucking wet work. It's pretty. It's pretty bloody. It's pretty dirty. And I've I've been lucky enough that I've worked with I've worked with guys um, that have been over there doing that. And actually, tomorrow night I'm gonna. Oh, tonight, I'm, tonight I'm gonna go have a beer with a mate of mine, and he's he's a hard ass man. Like he he was he was over in Perth for a long time with SAS, and he did God knows how many trips and. Look, it takes a toll. You know, when you're 40 years old, you've had both hips replaced. That's that's taken its toll on you. And, God, and not even to speak about mentally what that does to you. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So, yeah, look, I think, yes, that we had the Hague and the Geneva Convention for a reason. And there's a humanity that has to exist within war. And a lot of that's to do with weapons of war, how prisoners of war are treated, and the conditions and the standards that need to be set. Um, but I think there also needs to be concession too from us on the outside looking in to understand that war is something that the average individual doesn't have the mental capacity to understand, appreciate and absorb what they would actually be like for the operator on the ground, for boots on the ground. Oh, absolutely. Unless you go to basic training, unless you go to single and do your training, unless you go to the infantry battalion, unless you go on the carter course and get selection, and unless you do all your patrol courses and every friggin' course under the sun, and then you train, and then you get on rotation, and then you go over, and then you do your job, you can have an opinion about anything on the planet, but it's up to you whether or not you're going to voice that opinion as an educated opinion, or you're just offended. Just because you're offended by something does not give you the right to fucking stand there and go, everything needs to change because I'm offended. Yeah, you need to be self-aware enough to go, I'm offended by that. Well, why am I offended by that? Well, yeah. I don't like that. Turn it off. It's not going to stop yeah. existing because you're offended by it. And you're the audacity for an individual to say, something needs to stop because I don't like it. Yeah, that's really? right. I, I don't like the smell Same of farts when I'm going to fart. Yeah, that's, it's, it's the... Since the very first tribe walked out of Africa, and and what did they do? The, the next tribe they come on, they wore their ass. So, the, the mankind has just got this natural progression of all we've ever done is war, genocide, uh, take. You know that that's what we do. That's the natural default of men. You go, okay, well, okay, there's another tribe. Let's fucking kill it. And it's uh, Putin in the Ukraine yesterday. So right up from the very first time where we left Africa and we walked, that's been going on, man, and it's not going to stop. So you got to either make your peace with it. You got to be a warrior, or you got to sit back. There's no, there's no third option. Eh? You got to either let the warriors war, and you know, and we can enjoy the. What, what is it they say? The um, the price of peace is eternal vigilance. You know. So uh, the Greeks had a phrase, one word actually called parabellum, and parabellum's Latin, the dead language. But parabellum translates to, if you seek peace, prepare for war. 
Yeah. Because so you know what happens if you go back to any country's any country on this planet, if you go back to any country's history on this planet, you know what you're gonna find? Some really ugly shit they did. Ah, oh, bloodbath. Every yeah. single country in the planet. So don't anyone ever sit there and point fingers at anyone else because look, our own history is not that frigging clean. No one's history yeah, is clean. That's right. And we need to be accepting of that. But yeah, anyway, that's yeah. that's what we do. We're, we're, we're humans. We do war. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So one of the other ones I wanted to um, slightly touch on is uh, Anzac Day. And especially probably um, there was a period there where I lived in Cobar and I was um, very, (laughs) among other things, um, depending on what toilet door you're reading the bag of, um, uh, I was very fortunate to be uh, voted in as the president of the RSL sub-branch for Cobar. And a lot of that was during the time, it was coming up 2015, so that was 100 years since Gallipoli, so basically what we call the birth of the Anzac, you know. So we did a lot, a lot of fundraising and a lot of different activities um, throughout the year to to commemorate Charge on Birashiva. You know, that's Halloween, if you're thinking about it. Um, And a heap of different things, heap of different fundraisers to raise money for a World War I Memorial in Coburn. Um, My busiest day of the year as the president, no shit, Shirley, was Anzac Day. (laughs) So I'd usually try and write a speech the day before, wouldn't happen. So I just write some post-it notes before I went to bed or when I woke up in the morning. Beer coaster. Yeah, beer coaster, <laughs> post-it notes. My post-it notes. Um, chuck a suit on, chuck medals on. Bag of fruit. We're really lucky in Cobar. We had an amazing affiliation with the HMAS Rankin, which is named after, it's a Collins-class submarine, and it's named after Robert William Rankin, who was the captain of the HMAS Yarra that was sunk in action in World War II. And it was sunk in action. Japanese destroyers are uh, attacking Australian supply medical frigates. So he put the HMAS Yarra in between the medical frigates and the destroyers. Yeah, right. Saved yep. the medical frigates and the supply, sacrificed his ship and his men in order to get the Japanese Sweet. away from them. Anyway, apparently they petition every other year to get him a VC instead of... He wants a VC, we'll give him one. Oh, yeah. Is that, that's between the VH and the VK. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's actually, um, it's, they're starting to run out of, par- uh, they're, they're made out of Crimean cannons, the Victoria Cross. Really? Yeah, they're starting to run low on it, apparently. I did not know So, that. I don't know whether they're giving out more medals of gallantry to the boys that have gone and played in the sandpit and come back because they've run out of metal yeah. or it's a bit tricky. Um, so, the HMAS Rankin, we used to get submariners all the way out in the middle of New South Wales, which makes no <laughs> sense. But we, far but, from the coast as But we get. had some amazing representation, like, from... Um, submarine captains and submariners and we had an awesome time like these boys were so we 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 treated them like absolute kings when they rocked up to us put out the red carpet absolutely turned it on for three or four days ran them ragged took them out of the oldies at the old folks home and wearing the white really uniform and oh man they just loved it um took them in the club at night time and got them talking to the locals played footy against them, played um, parlour games with them, like really had a huge... They actually um, did the Submariners induction. They gave me a pair of uh, dolphins and I had to drink it out of uh, straight rum in a glass and did the, did the sea shanty chant with them. Like I was just... Dude, I was, I was hyper-emotional and they said, you're an honorary Submariner and they did this whole... Oh, this whole fucking... Um, 
um, um, um, induction sort of thing. I I'm, I'm can't think of it. I'm still getting emotional thinking about it. Was it anything to do with buggery? There was no buggery involved. <laughs> you lied. There was no buggery involved. No, no, absolutely. There might have been buggery before or after. I'm, I'm not sticking off for the amount of buggery in the neighbors. But um, these guys, these guys that come over from the HMO's rank, and we were really on it. We get to have them on Anzac Day. So it was great to be able to show off actual serving members, especially submariners, because submariners, Jesus Christ, they do an amazing job. And oh. they are active all year round. Like the stories they tell of what goes on out in the open ocean now, every day, Make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Anyway, so my Anzac day would be get up in the morning, um, jump in the car. Me and uh, Johnny De Bruin did a lot of fundraising in Cobart, and Johnny and I would go around and pick up uh, the boss. Is that Johnny De Bruin from Running on Empty? Running on Empty, Johnny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Johnny and I would go around and we'd pick up the captain or whoever's representing and the submariners and meet us there if they were there. Um, But usually we'd have at least one officer from the rank in there or the submarine community. And um, we'd go down and we'd always do a dawn service. And it was amazing in Cobar because most of the pre-start meetings for the mines start between 6 and 6.30. Yep, I agree. And most of those mines, and don't get me wrong, there's a lot of dickheads in mining. Most of them. However, the boys that were running the shows back then, they would say to the boys, if you want to go to the dawn service, you'll be late. Yeah. Go and get breaky, go watch dawn service, then yeah. come into work after you've done that, just catch up and watch Mist in the pre-start and yep. get into it. This transmission might. Like, yep. just, and I was so impressed. Every year when the I, the boys were telling me, oh, you know, Benny, we don't have to worry about it because they said we can be half an hour, an hour late. How good that you get that time in a day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably drink a bit. It doesn't matter. <laughs> as long as I get past the bag, you're right. <laughs> Once, Once you're in the gates, <laughs> yeah. So we do the dawn service and... You know, always involve the cadets, always have something to say, always have a submariner or a special guest there. And then from there, we'd go to the club. We'd have breakfast that was put on by the club. The, 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 the Memorial Club in Cobo always did an amazing job. And then from there, um, I'd have a few cheeky beers. We'd do the march down the main street. And I was, um, Noah was only young, my um, eldest, he was only young, and he had a set of my replicas on there. And he'd get to march with me, and I thought that was pretty cool. It like not that cool. not that I've ever done anything amazing, particularly in my career, but to have my son march with me on Anzac Day, I thought was fucking that was one of the coolest things. Noah would march down with me. We'd do the day service, so the dawn service we might be lucky and get hundred, maybe two hundred people. Some of the services we got in Cobar, you'd think you're talking about a population of five thousand people. There'd be fifteen hundred people. Yeah. There'd be two thousand people than Christmas there. Day, mate. Oh, it was so yeah. good. And we'd have, and we had Nathan, uh, he's a Kiwi bro, but Nathan, this scaffolding. Oh, dude, huge human, <laughs> massive human, could sing. Yeah. So what we used to do is we'd have the dawn service and I'd invite the mayor up and Lillian Brady, rest her soul, beautiful, beautiful old stoic soul. She'd get up, say a few words, or sometimes if she wasn't that ill because she was quite elderly even then, the deputy mayor would get up, Pete Abbott, absolute legend. Um, they'd get up, say a few words, I'd talk a bit of crap. We'd get kids from the high school to get up and do a poem or what Anzac Day means to them. And then we'd have the submariner get up, current serving member get up. Like, how cool is that yeah. in Cobar? Yep. There's not a military base within <laughs> fucking a thousand kilometres in either direction. They'd get up, have their talk. Um, we'd get, um, there was Anita and there was, there was all these amazing ladies in Cobar that had these beautiful singing voices. Each year it'd be one of those ladies that get up and sing. Oh, there's a school teacher. I can't remember her name. She was an amazing singer too. He's an amazing singer. 
And then we'd also do the New Zealand National Anthem after the Australian National Anthem. Yeah, sweet. Dude, the New Zealand National Anthem, like we pay out the Kiwis, we want to fuck them up in cricket, we want (laughs) to fuck them up in footy, we want to go down the pub, we want to fuck them up. But if it's got to be fucking... Us versus the fucking Germans. Oh, yeah. Us versus the fucking yeah. Russians. Whatever cousins. it would have been. Yeah. These are our boys. Cousins. These yeah. are our boys. Don't you, you say something? You talking shit about my Kiwi yeah, brother? Right. That's right. And Big Nathan had come out and sing this national anthem. And the Kiwi national anthem is mint. Yeah. You'll hear our national anthem. You're like, yeah, national anthem's pretty good. Then you hear the Kiwi national anthem. You're like, holy fucking shit. Can't man. we just adopt it? Isn't this is, how, isn't that, this is a fucking good Isn't anthem, that how it works? Up. You tell me really. Hand it back in. Next stand up <laughs> shit. Like, it's fucking awesome. You told me a really interesting story about um, Broken Hill with a two-up. Oh, so this is where I'm going. Um, yeah. So we do that service. We'd finish the service, go up, see the oldies. And they do a little service up at the retirement village. And they loved it. They're good eggs oh, yeah, up there. I'm, I'm 50 these days. Yeah, no, we still need to start looking at brochures for you, actually. <laughs> I know. Um, and then we'd go down the club. We'd have lunch, do a proper lunch. Do the proper um, toast to country, toast to um, serving members, current past, um, a toast to the Queen, um, get up and say a few words on behalf of the RSL. I'd get a little bit of a break, punch a few beers, two up all <laughs> afternoon. And when I say two up, like not me playing it, I was the ringer. Yeah. So I'm in the middle, so I'm trying to organise the spinners, run around, and that was, and people love, like, I don't, I'm not worried if people have fucking been working night shift and they can't make the dawn service. Yeah. It doesn't worry me. People I can't get in and make the service. But people love that whole spirit of it's like it's better than Christmas when you get around that two up. It ring. is better than Christmas. Everyone's right? in a good yeah. mood. Yep. Everyone's there to have fun. No one's there to start trouble. Make it's a just, few bucks. Yeah. <laughs> and I used to run it, I used to start maybe say maybe start at about 1.30 and the boys would be coming out like Benny, when we start two up, when we start two up, like, dude, give me ten minutes to have one more beer because it's gonna be bullshit busy afternoon. And I'd usually go from about 1.30 to four. Then some, I get whoever was a real vocal sort of half drunk but half controllable dude that day. Like, um, so I'm half of that. <laughs> who was? I'm trying to think. Jake Harvison was one of them. He was really good to get in the two up ring because he just played up to the crowd. Do you want a microphone? Don't need a microphone. I'll just fucking yell all day. <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah. You English dog. Um, who else was there? There was someone else. He had a fucking ripper beard too. Anyway, and then on, on and off from four o'clock. I'd on and off. We do minute science. At six in the club, take the flag down at eight, maybe run two up for another half an hour, an hour, and then close it up for the day. Huge day for me, massive day for me. Now, two up, everyone knows a little bit about two up. What a lot of Australians don't realise is, do you know I have where never two up? It. Really, bro, I have never had one ah, we're gonna game fix that. two up. We're going to fix that. Yeah. I'll, I'll start. I'll tell you a bit of history and some rules about it. So. Rules? Two up involves the throwing of two coins into the air. Players bet on whether the coins will fall on both heads up or tails up, with one coin head, one coin tail. It is traditionally played in pubs and clubs throughout Australia on Anzac Day by way of legislation and allows the otherwise illegal activity to be played on that day. In New South Wales, check your state laws. In New South Wales, it can be played after 12pm on Remembrance Day and on August 15. Victory in the Pacific Day. Ah. So there's three days of the year we can play two up. Now, unless you go to Broken Hill. <laughs> oh my God, stop the horror. Don't make me go there. Oh, actually, actually, there's a, you can do it in Kalgoorlie as well. I only just learnt that. 
Hello to all our Broken Hill listeners. So, um, so to all those in BH, as the locals call it, BH, everyone in BH, they know about this, but you guys don't. So, in 1915, Broken Hill is the scene of the only enemy attack on Australian soil in World War One. Only four months before the Anzacs were due to fight the Turks at Gallipoli, a silver-bound train is fired upon by two men in an ice cream cart flying the Turkish flag. <laughs> Today, a replica cart can be seen at the White Rocks at the northern end of Broken Hill. So, because of that, there was this huge big campaign, and I think, without looking it up on Google.com, in 1984, the Broken Hill Council worked very hard, campaigned, and was successful that... At the Palace Hotel, you know that from Priscilla, you watch yeah. it every other week. Yeah. Priscilla Queen of the Desert, Stop. there's a scene in Priscilla Queen of the Desert where uh, they stay in Broken Hill and then Hugo Weaving's coming down the stairs. That scene is shot in the Palace Hotel. Yeah, right. In the Palace Hotel, after 9pm, you can go and play tour. That's legal as it's well. It's legal all year round. It's got to have something going for it in Broken Hill. Well, <laughs> and the thing about... Think about the way they play it in Broken Hill. So when we played at Cobar and a lot of other places that I've played it, two up, so you get uh, the kip, which is the wooden paddle that you put the two coins on, and you put the coins on, and what you the contemporary do is you put a little bit of marker on the tail side of it so you can easily identify what's tail and oh, what's yeah, head. Right, yeah. Flip it up in the air, and you know, you're having your side bet. So the side bets is who you're betting with around you. I'm betting on heads, I'm betting on tails, I bet five bucks, I bet fifty bucks. I've seen three hundred bucks. Dude, people get hectic with gambling. Oh, people get taking hectic a bar, with hey, Taking a bar. But the, the way they play it in Broken Hill, they have played with three coins. So instead of being it could be heads or it could be tails or it could be heads and tails, so it's a yeah. none up. Broken Hill play with three. So every single spin, there's a winner. Every single spin, there's a loser. It's fast. It's fucking frantic. <laughs> and it sends motherfuckers broke as shit oh, real absolutely. quick. So... We used to play it with two coins because uh, people last a bit longer, the money lasts a bit longer, <laughs> yeah. you don't burn them out. But if you go somewhere when they're serious about tour and people are frothing at the bit trying to win money, they'll oh, play yeah, three coins. Absolutely destroys it. Hectic. So, yeah, so there's a little bit of history about playing tour. And if anyone out there is pretty keen on those other days, so Remembrance Day, 11th of November, and after lunchtime on the 15th of August, Victory in the Pacific Day, you can... Legally, play tour, and the best way to do that is when you're running the the table for the um, the spinner to obviously take the bet. If you have gold coin donation to the school, to the RSL, to deaf children, whatever the charity has to be, that's a really good way to package that up to the local council. If you're going to say down at this pub on Anzac Day or Victory in the Pacific Day or or Remembrance Day, we're going to play tour. So if you haven't got two up in your town, it is literally that easy to set up. It is easy to set up. There's a, uh, a friend of ours and a friend of Thong Slappers, obviously Brett Abraham at Car 35, uh, New South Wales Variety Bash Car. If you're thinking about donating to a charity, can we suggest that you please give him a few dollars while we're talking about charity? He's uh, a friend of the Thong Slappers and uh, he's a friend of mine. So yeah, g'day Brett. Also, um, somebody else... TimBarnett.com.au. Tim's a, he's a good guy and he's been helping us out a lot with the thong slappers with a bit of design and stuff for us. So um just want to have a big shout out to Tim. How you going, Tim? Thanks, Tim. <laughs> Tim, you're the bomb. You're the bomb. <laughs> okay, Benny, so um
I need to say hello to Simo. So Simo's been working real hard. He does all the production stuff. He does everything for this uh, podcast behind the scenes. He'll be, um, I swear he'll be joining us soon for another podcast. So um, Simo and St. Lucie and Little Wheels, hello to my three favourite people. There's so many people that help us out with this thing and so many people that deserve a mention. And uh, Rich Wright, g'day Rich. He's our Englishman, aren't you Rich? <laughs> <laughs> Rich is a top guy, man. So Rich sends me this, um, what do you call it, YouTube stuff. Seriously, man, I'm, I'm, I've got a bit of a busy life as well. So whenever Rich sends me something, I'll sit there and I'm like, I've got a curator of YouTube. So to Rich, thank you very much. I've got a curator of YouTube. So the stuff that he sends me is the most incredible stuff. So um, yeah, thanks, Rich. Um, right, everybody, we'll um, have a nice uh, Anzac Day. And just Anzac Day is not, for me, so much a celebration. It's a bit of a memorial. So um, if you're in the uh, ADF, if you're in the SAS, if you're in anything to do with uh, what we consider keeping us safe, um, take care. Uh, if you're a former soldier, uh, nothing but love for me from, from, from us guys or whatever, and, and a massive thank you. But um, Benny, would you like to take us out? Um, so, yeah, whatever you're doing on Anzac Day, um, whatever way you choose to pause in remembrance on this day, it doesn't matter whether you're working today, you're on shift, you're on roster, you're on call. If you can put a minute out of your day just to sit there and reflection and think about 416,000 people that you know went away to serve in World War One, 65,000 Australian young men that never come back from foreign soil in World War One, and the countless amount of women, men and women since that have either paid the ultimate sacrifice or given that part of their lives in service of our country to keep us safe. If you can spend that one minute on Anzac Day today just to sit there in reflection and go, how lucky am I because of the sacrifice of all these others, I'm absolutely sure that I could be bold enough and brazen enough and arrogant enough to say that all those men and women that have ever put on a uniform, that is more than what they would ever want in return for their service. Is that one minute on a day, once a year, just to pause and reflection and go, I am so grateful that this is where I was born and raised and I am so grateful for those men and women that have shaped this country to be what it is. I agree, man. The world's on fire at the moment and we're just lucky to live out here you know what, it's a fairly big island just in the middle of an ocean and everybody else must go, China must go, oh, fuck the Australians, it's all hard work. <laughs> yeah, we could do it, but yeah, it's gonna, they're going to be belly aching and they're fucking pretty good at what they do. So, um, righto, uh, thanks very much, everybody, and uh, have, a, have a nice Anzac Day and uh, we're out. What do you reckon to that, Benny? Was that all right? Did you, fuck me dead, Benny, did you just fart? Bro, when fuck. I had a shower, like, what's today? Uh, Friday. Oh, today's birthday. I'll get to have a shower today. Bro, fucking dead. That stinks, man. <laughs> I wish Simon was here. He loves a good fart. Hey, that really stinks, man. Go and take yourself outside and have a shit. Fuck. <laughs> Do you ever do one of them shits and you got to bury it with a <laughs> shovel? <laughs>